Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. My name is Tim Robertson and I'm the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the Alpo. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from our listeners to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start off by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook, which is the official handbook of the training program. And for $35, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. Find us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you really enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, episode 156 of the Observer's Notebook. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. And today we have a special guest. Uh, we have Charlie Warren, the uh, managing editor of Amateur Astronomy Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Yeah, now before we get into talking about the magazine, let's talk about you. Okay, give everybody a little bit of background about yourself, location, occupation, observing equipment, things like that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I am uh, have a uh, uh, been in the security industry for a while, but my background really is as an entrepreneur. Um, gosh, I go back into Miami. Uh, my uh, degree was electrical engineering with a actually a dual with applied music, and um, I decided that wasn't my cup of tea. Bought a bookstore in Miami, Florida. Uh, got married, opened a wholesale plant nursery export company. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so, so needless to say, I've touched a lot of lot of bases, and um, uh, ended up uh, selling all that, going up to North Carolina, taking some time off, came back to uh, uh, to Florida, and really that was when I kind of entered the realm, other than my early experiences under dark skies as a kid. Um, which original, which probably leads into this whole thing. Um, I had an unusual uh, childhood, and my my dad was a teacher. And at one point, he sold our house and moved us all onto a boat in Miami, oh. uh, which is a little different way to to grow mm -hmm. up. 
And in the summers, we'd cast off the lines and uh, cruise the Bahamas and Virgin Islands and, and, oh. and during the summers because he had the time off. Not, not a bad, trying to get back to that lifestyle. I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> sounds like a pretty decent <laughs> way of life. Yeah, it, it, was, real, it was terrific. Um, but it, it was pretty, I mean, we didn't have generators. So at night, uh, oh. we would sit out under the stars, literally enjoy these incredibly uh, uh, dark skies. And um, I guess another tie-in was we didn't have GPS, so my dad taught me to navigate using a sextant and ship's chronometer and compass and, and charts. And it gave me a love of charts, which which persists to this day, even with all the electronic uh, media available and the great <laughs> things we can do. I, I love a good old-fashioned star chart. Yep. Um, but uh, anyway, so at night we'd yeah, lie out, we'd look at the stars. My mom you know, would tell me the constellation she could remember. My dad would elaborate on the uh, Greek mythology behind it. I think for entertainment purposes, he'd stretch some of those, but it made <laughs> good entertainment. And uh, towards the end of summer, um, I would enjoy the Perseid meteor shower under just unbelievable, uh, you know, pristine skies. And it, and it left, I think, a positive impression on me that you know much fast forward you know way forward in in life at some point it resonated and um i, I got a telescope back in there interestingly i've got my first telescope as an adult the, the same year that the that tom clark started the magazine but yeah. uh, completely independently and at one point my my wife bought me a little etx 90 and i began to use the star charts and the etx to kind of teach me the sky so instead of just relying on the the go-to to to show me stuff i actually would put a finder on top and and it, it was an expert tutor that taught me where all this stuff was and i attended my first star party uh texas star party back in 2000 and that really launched me into a whole it's first time i had experienced those same dark skies or similar dark skies to what I had experienced as a kid. And from there, um, you know, the, 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 the rest is history, so to speak. I kind of got bit by the bug in a big way. So, Wow. So would you say the experiences of being on the boat at night was really sparked your interest in astronomy? Yeah, yes, I think it. And, and you know, it's interesting because when I get new subscribers, I ask them a little bit about their background. And there does seem to be a common element where there's something in childhood that later on when they have some disposable income and, and mm -hmm. time um, that resonates. Either somebody showed them, you know, typical stuff. Somebody showed them the Saturn or the moon in a telescope. But there's an experience as a young kid or, and a certain amount of, I think, interest in the natural sciences that combine with that. Mm -hmm. that lead them to to our hobby and um so i think that i think it's not totally uncommon but yeah there's definitely something that resonated to a, a what i consider to be a very good time in my childhood and a um and a curiosity for for the dark night skies that's very cool and you said your first telescope was the etx uh first actually i uh, before that i had an unwieldy um 10 inch um oh. newtonian on, a, on an equatorial mount which didn't get much use because it was kind of big and awkward. The little ETX was something I could set up after work um, in a, in you know just a couple of minutes, get it polar lined, and do some observing. And I began to do that on a regular basis. And so yeah, that little telescope really uh, kind of brought me in. I started to you know download these uh, um, astronomical lead. Um, 
lists and began to plow my way through it. And like I said, I, I, you know, the telescope was actually a pretty accurate go-to. I would look through the finder, find out where I was on the star charts and really began to teach myself the, the night sky. That's very cool. And I, I, I've looked into you a little bit and you're quite the astrophotographer as well, aren't you? Uh, yes, that that started to happen, which is an interesting thing. So I went to the the uh, Texas Star Party. At that time, I had upgraded to, uh, I still kept my ATX-90 because mm -hmm. for a fast setup, but, uh, you know, to the big brother, the LX-90. And I brought that out to the Texas Star Party. And, and those guys just blew me away. But mm -hmm. I, I tried to <laughs> to image with, with a film camera. You know, it was, it was just when, you know, be really before digital started to break. And I was phenomenally unsuccessful with that. <laughs> there's, a lot of there's a lot of patience involved with, with film. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, guiding with a, the with a reticle eyepiece, and particularly with that equipment, just, I mean, it was a big fail. But while I was out there, I met a guy, Gary Honus, who had a 20-inch Star Master. I, I later bought a 20-inch Star Master. But not only did we have great observing, but he had this little Olympus camera and he would take 30 second shots through that just handheld through the eyepiece. Or maybe he had something that I think he made some kind of a bracket to hold it there. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I, you know, I was trying to sketch. I was trying to, you know, take images, not doing well. I was sketching, not a phenomenal sketcher, but it did teach me to see better. Right. But I was just blown away by these little 30 second um, images that he was getting through his 20 inch star master. So I said, well, the heck with the film. So I got one of the early, I got a Starlight Express seven, uh, uh, was it SX seven C I guess. So a, a color, um, astronomical camera. And that started me, um, kind of on the imaging thing. And, and I got bit pretty hard with the, the imaging bug and that set me in another way. Um, but I, I've always have and, and continue to enjoy, um, doing observing as well. Once I get the equipment set up, yeah, I want to. I want to look at stuff in the eyepiece. So, so you got into astro imaging really when it was starting out in the hobby, from film cameras to imaging, right? That That's like. correct. Yeah. So yep. you've seen you've seen quite the evolution over the years. Oh yeah, just phenomenal, and it's amazing. I mean, one of my buddies when we were getting started also had an MX Seven uh, C was Warren Keller, who's now, you know, quite well known for mm -hmm. his uh, imaging prowess and his processing and, and teaches uh, things. But yeah, John Talbot also. So there was a neat core um, that, uh, of people that got together and were just starting off doing horrible stuff as far as what <laughs> by today's standards, but having an absolute blast and helping each other and learning from each other. And it was a, a truly a, a great community, and we we forged some uh, friendships that just continue to this day. And and so, really, a neat time early on. But yeah, the equipment compared to what is possible today, and the equipment today, it was mm -hmm. truly very rudimentary. Yeah, I see images by amateurs like Damian Peach and and go and people like that. And I don't know if it's through the Hubble or it's an amateur. It's like the, the images oh, are just yeah. so amazing right now. It, it, it truly is. Yeah, yeah. Some of the planetary stuff they're doing by, you know, just grabbing the, you know, the, the uh, best, you know, frames from video frames mm -hmm. and solar too. I mean, I, mm -hmm. just, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm just every day I look at, at images that I, that people send me, I'm like, just blown away um, yeah. how incredible it is. Now you mentioned a few people, but was there one person in particular that really sparked your interest? 
Of one person? Yeah. Um, I would there was a group of us, but interestingly, I, I mean, there were a number. I'd say Gary Honus mm-hmm. kind of started me off and took me under his wing. A uh, Rick Singmaster, who later made me one of the Starmaster telescopes, he would sit and chat. You know, Rick was famous. He'd just sit around mm-hmm. and chat with you forever. Um, on the imaging front, yeah, John Talbot, Warren, Warren Keller, Alan Chen uh, were all people that gave us gave feedback and encouragement. And uh, interestingly, uh, you know, Tom Clark also became a bit mm-hmm. of a mentor. Um, I met him for the first time in, interestingly, also out at that 2000 Texas Star Party. I, he was a speaker and I spoke with him briefly afterwards, never got to know him that well. But I started subscribing to the magazine way back then immediately. I was like, oh, this is great. This has got stuff like about what I'm doing. Right. So, um, yeah, I subscribed later, got to know him well when I moved back to Florida from Dallas. Um, I, I, I did some research, found out. Hey, he had this uh, Chiefland Astronomy Village, and that's where I would go monthly to every, literally every new moon and image and observe. And there was a really nice community of people that would show up every new moon weekend. So we had like many star parties every month, got to know uh, Tom Clark very well. And of course, he pulled me in, taught me things about telescope making and observing. He never got into the imaging thing. So. Huh. Wow. Now, I want to start talking about the magazine a little bit, but before before I do, I want to apologize. I've been an amateur astronomer since the early 70s, and I did not learn about this magazine until earlier this year when John O'Neill sent me a copy, and I went, where has this been my entire life? It's a great magazine. So I immediately subscribed. I'm like, oh, I got, I got to get this. You know, it's just, it, it blew me away because, you know, it's not, it's not like Sky and Tell or, or Astronomy Magazine is not the technical versions and stuff, but this is, it's written by amateurs basically. And, and I really, it's, 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 it's excited me. And it's, I, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast to talk about it. Yeah. Well, well, neat. And, and, and I'd love to get that feedback. And that was my reaction, too. And again, I've, I've um, you know, always uh, subscribed to astronomy and sky and tell, mm-hmm. you know, I get about everything I can. I'm a magazine junkie anyway. Same thing with photography. I, I mean, I, I love magazines. I'm a reader. Um, but when I when I first read Tom's magazine, I'm like, this is just different. It's yep. geared a little different and it's and it fits a nice niche. Yes, it and, does. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. It's and we want to try and keep that niche um, a little bit different, covering a little bit different angle, written by amateurs, mm-hmm. and covering the stuff that isn't necessarily as commercially viable. Mm-hmm. And really, that's that's our niche. We don't have to, you know, sell sixty thousand copies on a newsstand. You just can't do some of the things that we do and do that. So well, magazines um, are dying out now too. So it's like. That's- it is. It's a very tough time for yeah. publications altogether. I mean, it really is a challenging time with costs going up, advertisers moving mm-hmm. to you know more uh, web-based advertising. So, yeah, I like I I sympathize and empathize with people, um, you know, publishing magazines. It's it's not an easy thing at this point. Yeah, I know. Within the ALPO, our number one expense is our journal. And it yeah. goes it goes up four times a year, and it is it's, it's averaging about a hundred pages an issue right now, and it's just crazy expensive to do. Yeah. It's nuts. But let's go back oh. to the beginning. Let's talk about the origin of amateur astronomy. Okay. So, what 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 can you tell me about how it started? Yeah. So uh, so Tom 
Tom Clark is a founding editor. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the early 90s, uh, Tom got sucked into the whole astronomy thing. It, uh, funny, I'll, <laughs> a whole other time to tell that story, but it's really amusing. Anyway, his wife, Jeannie, um, was really the one who pushed him. And he, he started out being the uh, telescope porter. Um, but anything Tom does, he likes to do big. So he got a big telescope and realized, oh, my God, this is bigger than I thought. Um, but got into the whole observing thing himself, then started. He, he is a retired, was a retired machinist, started building telescopes. He was the, was the owner of Tektron Telescopes. And uh, so in the early 90s, his favorite uh, um, publications were Deep Sky, published by David mm-hmm. Eicher. And telescope making by Richard Berry, both you know one one former one current uh, editor of astronomy now, mm-hmm. and they were small press publications. One focused obviously on telescope making, the other observing the two things he loved. And then they again, it's tough to have a small press publication. Right. Um, both of them ended up stopping publication. And Tom said, "Well, he kept waiting for somebody to." fill in the gap and nobody did. So in spring of 1994, produced his first um, magazine, Amateur Astronomy Magazine, a whopping 34 pages, Mm -hmm. and essentially combined those two things, uh, amateur telescope making and uh, some observing articles. And that was the initial launch, really, as those other two publications came to an end. So your, your, your target audience, what is it? Target audience are people who are active in the hobby, I would say. Um, We're not really an armchair astronomy um, publication. We're people who are out there in the field that are imaging, building telescopes, observing, doing outreach events, going to star parties. And those are really the activities we we try and focus on. Okay, all right. And um, from those early days, how has the magazine evolved over the years? Well, Tom was, uh, was was not the most technical. So um, back, and I had started going, like I said, to uh, the Chiefland uh, field on a regular basis. I started to contribute my first, I believe my very first article was, I was still in Texas and I got invited to observe on the McDonald Observatory 84-inch telescope for a night with um, 11 other observers from the Dallas um from the Dallas Astro- Astronomy Club. And it was just blew me away. I mean, it was a phenomenal experience. We observed literally from dark till dawn and uh, this long list of objects through that spectacular telescope, an amazing uh, observing instrument. And so I wrote an article on it and I'd done some sketches and that type of thing, but that was my first, I believe my very first contribution for the magazine. Well, yeah, you know, again, this was, I was still in Dallas, moved to, to Orlando area, Popka, and uh, started going to Chiefland, got to know Tom, started to write a few more articles. And over uh, a period of time, Tom was like, hey, I'm ready to retire. Gosh, you'd be a great candidate to take this over. I'm like, well, I don't know if I really have the time, <laughs> had a pretty time consuming day job. And uh, he kept working on me. <laughs> and my my actually my day job had an opportunity to morphy. They wanted to move me up to the northeast as a director uh, for a Brinks Home Security, and I didn't want to move back to the northeast. I got a school up there. I was born up there, but uh-huh. didn't want to go and live back up there. Uh, anyway, so I made a transition, had more time, so I took over the magazine with issue number fifty-five. And how, how long ago uh, was that? 
Uh, that was uh, so that was issue fifty five, fall of two thousand seven was my okay. first issue that I that I took over, and um, so immediately I did a, did a couple of things. Um, I, I I produced a digital version of the magazine and made that available. Um, and Tom realized that had you know one of those things that just had to be done. Mm-hmm. One thing was, and it continued to get tougher and tougher is just the the cost of shipping overseas to our right. subscribers overseas out of the country. And the other is, um, and it was de- a decision that I made, well, at, kind of about the same time, um, for a small press to go, you know, full color and do it well is really expensive. Right. And I did not want to degrade to get on that cheap kind of comic strip paper and so I made a decision. I wanted to stay with high quality, um, uh, heavier gloss paper in a black and white format, but I wanted to be able to produce color for those articles and certain things that do benefit from color and just a preference. So our PDF is in color. We still are um, uh, black and white, but um, on a high quality gloss paper um, in the print version. So. Gave, gave us a little bit of both and allowed us to expand our reach um, outside the United States a little bit more, very affordably. So, hmm. and, and uh, so it stayed that way since you took over basically the two versions. Yep, yep, it did. Um, of course, I'm into imaging, so I added mm-hmm. a lot more of the imaging. But we try yeah. and keep some of the mix of ATM, observing, imaging, and we've always done a couple of things. We cover star parties, which to me is kind of it's the heart of what we do, getting right. together with other people out on the field. Um, you can do that on your own, but doing that together in community with other people, one, just the sharing of information, the camaraderie, um, to me makes this hobby very special. So we continue to to cover that as, aspect of it as well. And the other thing that we've done since the very first uh, issue is we feature an amateur astronomer. So People get to know kind of people in in the hobby, and uh, we continue with that star people. As a matter of fact, we I've expanded on it a little bit. Um, so we used to give kind of like a really brief bio and and cover two amateur astronomers in the early issues, and now we'll do uh, depending if the person's an astrophotographer, we like to feature their work. So um, we might go six, eight, even ten pages on different people based on what their interests are, whether you know again. Uh, telescope maker, an observer, or an astrophotographer, but we try and hit kind of all the different reaches of our hobby and and some different people and kind of give them a little bit of exposure and expose other people to what people, you know, specific people are doing in the hobby. Great. Now, how how this, this is obviously a full-time job for you now? This is, I, 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 I still have a day job. Okay. Which, um, Getting ready to uh, hopefully <laughs> retire from shortly. Uh, okay. <laughs> so do you have a do you, you have a staff that works for? Or is it mostly volunteers, or how does that work? Uh, does, I'm sorry. Do you have a staff, or is it mostly oh, volunteers I, who do it? I I have a wonderful group of committed uh, <coughs> uh, contributing editors and a very regular that okay. uh, associate and contributing editors. So other than that, my wife and I do the hard living with lifting with the uh, um, just the production part of it. But I absolutely could not do it without some of the terrific uh, associate and contributing editors who do an amazing job producing content. So great. Do you want to give some of those a shout out? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, over the years, we've had uh, Robert Reeves, who's known mm-hmm. for his lunar photography. Um, of course, we have um, on the uh, John O'Neill covers my right. solar section, and John is just John's good dude. Head up with the solar and and does some really neat project stuff as, as well. So um, he, uh, like I say, over, overall, it really has uh, um, made a big difference in what we're able to uh, cover on the on the solar side. But yeah, he'll do product reviews and everything else mm-hmm. like that. Um, we also have uh, Dave Tostison, who is probably second to none in his when it comes to large after observing. Uh, Dave does. Uh, a really fun person to observe with. I just got together with him out at Oki Tex and um, he does a lot of research for when he goes out there and starts searching for some of these more obscure things, but uh, does a phenomenal job covering uh, that aspect of it. Um, we have uh, Harry Roberts from down under and he'll do lunar and solar stuff. Dan Good, who does a lot of my imaging. Um, Bill Williams, uh, Richard Wright um, does a lot more writing now for uh, Sky and Telescope, but he mm-hmm. still does stuff for me. John Talbot um, is one of my you know, people I lean on for a lot of the e- editing stuff. Uh, Richard Vanderbay and uh, Bob Kava do uh, some of my uh, stuff on spectroscopy and variable stars. Um, uh, Roy Troxel, Chris Waldrop. Um, both uh, contribute on my sketching side. So Mel Bartels is pretty well known will, and will contribute a number of things on uh, uh, amateur telescope making and directs me to different people who also have great contributions. And Stephen Spears is, uh, um, uh, when it comes to spectroscopy, is uh, does a phenomenal job there and also directs me to some other people with some great content in that regard. So uh, I'm very fortunate to have a tremendous network of people in the hobby who are just uh, amazing folks. And that, that's uh, an yeah, impressive list of it. That's a real impressive list of individuals too. That's to get them all working on this. This is great. Um, yeah. what, do you have, do you have a vision for the future for the magazine? Yeah. You know, I, and, and I think about it from time to time where, where I would like to go and I think I just want to, my vision really is to keep step with the hobby without losing some of the, the heritage items. I mean, it's harder to get ATM stuff, but I think it's it, it can be an important step for some people. And I think knowing more about our telescopes gives us a little more depth in the hobby. So I want to try and keep keep that as a part of our, um, not just our legacy, but uh, but. Um, an ongoing part of it, part of that now morphs into just uh, not necessarily building the whole telescope, but how do I uh, upgrade and improve my telescope? Uh, but we'll continue along that lines, always be observers. I mean, there's mm-hmm. that's the core of what we are. We are definitely expanding on the imaging front and some of the science um, introduced in science. And I'm working on now getting something that's a little more regular feature since so many of our our readers and i think it's so important for the hobby um engage in outreach um something that might inspire people and give them a little more information so i actually am working on another regular contribution uh contributor who who would uh who is very very passionate about it contributing something on a regular basis so 
I want to keep I want to keep um, pace with where the hobby is going, but really don't want to veer too far off of our current track, which is what are what these people out on the observing field Mm -hmm. are engaged in. Okay, that's very good. Yeah, outreach really took a hit over the last few years with COVID too. I mean, I I wasn't able to do any events. Our local astronomy club just recently, in the last month or so, started meeting finally together all of a sudden. So it's 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 outreach really took a hit, and I missed it because I love doing it, you know. And so it's 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 hopefully the motivation get going again, and people can start looking through telescopes in big groups. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. And and going back to you know, what we talked about earlier, um, most people had some kind of an experience when they were young yep. that, that later they went back to. And it's really important, I think, that we continue to engage in, in that regard. And uh, yeah, you're right. I couldn't I mean, I couldn't go to schools and do outreach for several years. Mm-hmm. I, I used to love doing that, seeing the kids eyes light up as they see Saturn's rings for the mm-hmm. first time. And you never know when it's going to light a fuse. And and there's one young lady locally that uh, started and then she started helping me with the outreach. And then she got her own telescope. She started doing her own outreach. And uh, I'm not sure if she's graduated yet. But anyway, she's uh, uh, was a uh, uh, astronomy major at Caltech. So, I mean, sometimes you really do light, light a fuse. And even when you don't immediately you just don't know what the effects are. And it also helps the teachers put some uh, some reality to what it is. There's so much, which goes to another realm. I don't do as much. I used to do some video, but I like to get the kids' eyes right on an eyepiece mm-hmm. to connect in a different way. They're so used to looking at screens. Nice. I want them to have a more immediate impact from what they're seeing and, and what's out there. And uh, the response is just gratifying and i and i think it's very very important that we get back on that on that uh, course i agree it's one of the most rewarding things i do in the hobby i mean anytime like you mentioned a kid looks through a telescope at saturn the first thing to do is walk around to the other side of the telescope and see if you have a saturn hanging there or something that's not really it <laughs> and i think all of us who've done street outreach have had the guy i remember when i was in dallas we're in front of a barnes and noble and we did just that. I had the, I think I had an L, on uh, uh, a 10-inch yeah, LX, uh, whatever, anyway, the, one of the 10-inch uh, Mead scopes. It was set up there, and we were doing it. We were looking at Saturn, and uh, this older gentleman came around, and and we showed it to him, and I explained how long the light took, and it was reflecting how it worked off the secondary and errors and everything. And he looked at me, and he goes, and, and so he looks around the front of the scope. Yep. <laughs> and so I explained it again, and he goes, you can believe that if you want to and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not everybody will get it, but I think, nope. yeah, uh, but, but it, it is one of the great things about outreach is just the, the fun and the different reactions. And yep. uh, yeah, it, it's good stuff. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. So how often is the magazine published? It's uh, we're a quarterly. Okay. And right. uh, yeah, probably will remain on that schedule um, just based on, yeah, it would, it would, it would have to go into a different direction to go even to a bi bi-monthly. So I think we'll stay on a quarterly, which seems to be a good pace to cover what we like to cover. Okay. Now, what I like about it, you mentioned a couple of different subscriptions. You can do the, the hard copy and the, uh, and the PDF version. What are the costs of those? 
Okay, so the um, uh, the print version is uh, $28 a year, 52 for two years. Our digital version, uh, which is delivered, and, and it's a uh, comes with a uh, download link, uh, so you can download a PDF and a PDF because they can put it on any device they want as a right. PDF. So we want to be as we want to keep it from being too restrictive. Is $18 a year, 35 for two years, and a lot of a lot of our people now are actually doing dual subscriptions for 36 bucks a year. So um, for another eight bucks a year, they can add the the PDF. So I can take it with them, or they can also have the color content added to the print. Okay. So we try and keep as flexible as possible in that regard. Now, are your uh, subscribers worldwide? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got subscribers literally all over the world. We just this year was the first year we shut down the mailing the print copy. Actually, it was uh, back in I think March, April, where and finally we even stopped Canada because just That's partly crazy. just economics. I can't. Yeah, the mail rates were going up it's so rapidly I couldn't even project and it just got to be almost unconscionable uh, to mail it to Europe um, now costs over $10. So uh, oh. for a single magazine, the mailing portion of it. Um, so it, most of them had migrated um, to uh, digital at this okay. point anyway. So we just recently uh, shut that down. So we're all overseas. We're, we're digital at this point, but yeah, we've got people in, Australia, and of course, most of them are English-speaking nations, but we have a number of people. We've got people in Japan and a good number of people through Africa and Germany. On, on the continent of Europe, a good number of the people speak or read English anyway, so we have a pretty decent audience there. Great. How many subscribers do you have? We're about, and it seems to stay about steady because of our target focus, so we're about, right about 3,600. So. Wow, that's good. Because it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a specialized magazine and it's just like, yeah. it's, it's very niche, but that's a, that's a pretty good number. Yeah. And you, and you do advertising it as well. You sell advertising to help supplement the cost. Uh, yes. Yes, we do. Uh, we do take some advertisers. It, it amounts to, I think somewhere like eight to 9%. So we, uh, it's a mix that seems to work fairly well for us. We're, you know, so we're not totally beholden on it. Um, and most of our content. So we're 72 pages. And, uh, you know, we've got of that, the vast majority is editorial content. So mm -hmm. um, not too much advertising by the same token, the advertising definitely helps us with oh, yeah. particularly in the in the print format. So that's great. That's great. Um, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about the magazine? Trying to think what else. I think we, yeah, I think we probably delved into uh, into most of it. And um, okay, yeah, okay. again, we're yeah, in, invite them to uh, give it a give it a shot if they get ed up with it. We do offer a um, complete uh, back issue collection now. It's offered on a thumb drive, and uh, from they yeah, they can get for a hundred bucks, they can get the first one hundred and ten oh issues ever published in a well, PDF format. I need to order that. Okay, thanks That's for right. telling me about that. I, I love. I've, I've eaten up the ones I have. I mean, they're just. It's. It's like I said. I, I am shocked that it took me this long to find it. Thank God, John O'Neill's out there. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And actually, if anybody listens to this podcast and and they do order that, 
they just put in the little comments box, you know, that, that they heard about it here and they ordered that uh, back to your shoes. I'll, I'll take them right up to current for the, for the hundred bucks. So um, give them a few extra copies, supplemental copies and get our entire publishing history. And uh, there's some, I tell you, way back at the beginning, there's some stuff that's still absolutely, you know, incredible content. Obviously, the observing stuff doesn't change. Uh, and then the ATM stuff is even very current. Mm -hmm. So there's some great content even going back um, to those early 1990s issues. I'm sure ATM stuff is hard to get now, though. I mean, you mentioned that earlier because, I mean, I'm out here in the West Coast and and, you know, we used to have the Riverside Telescope Makers Conference out here, and that's gone away three or four years ago. So it's, yeah. and that was my introduction to making telescopes, seeing the, you know, John Dobson, some people like that out there running around making telescopes. Yeah, Most it, it, it is. It's, I mean, it's gotten to be a little more, more, more people now are doing the modification of their, mm -hmm. of their telescopes than the building, but there still are some people that are grinding mirrors and doing yeah. that, which is a really interesting thing to do. So Yep. Yeah, I was looking at, I'm trying to think, looking back at the early, like I said, there wasn't a lot of advertising in the early ones, but you know, when I look back at some of the prices of things, I'm going, okay, that takes you back away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. But yeah, no, there really is some some uh, some good content, even on the very early issues. So. Okay, and you said $100 for all the back issues? Uh, hundred bucks for the wow. for the hundred ten, and if they mention this, we'll uh, we'll go and we'll get them the uh, right up to one hundred and fifteen. So that's uh, fantastic. Bring them right up to the current issue. Yeah, we're we just published uh, issue uh, number one sixteen. So. Okay. Well, I will add your email address and also the website for subscribing to the magazine in the show notes, so people can click right there and be sent right over to you. Perfect. That sounds good. All right. Well. You know, Charlie, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. This is very enlightening, and I hope we can help you out. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me. So great, great opportunity to tell some other people about it. A small press, not easy to get the word out, as you can attest to. Yeah, so. I can, yeah. This is fun. Thank you very much. Perfect. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank Charlie Warren for coming up and telling us all about Amateur Astronomy Magazine. Trust me, people, it's a great magazine. I suggest you all check it out. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I would really, really appreciate it. And we're also available on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, Spotify, and also on our ALPO YouTube channel. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month, where you will receive one year's membership to the Oppo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this, this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support. The link for Patreon, as, link, as well as the link for the Oppo, is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersNBPod. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.